Kia ora, good afternoon. You are listening to the panel on RNZ National. No, my Heidi Mai. Call Susie Ferguson Tokoingwa. I'm in for Wallace for a couple of days. With me today, Johnny O'Donnell, communications consultant and strategist based in Nelson, and also professional director, principal of consulting company TalkPoint, and of course, former government minister and former ACT MP, Heather Roy. Also with me, Kia ora, Korua. Kia ora. Kia ora. Good to have you with us and also with us at the moment uh, from the gallery, Giles Dexter, RNZ's political reporter, because uh, Prime Minister Chris Hipkins has just in the last few minutes unveiled his new cabinet lineup. Uh, some pretty significant ups and downs out of all of this. Giles is going to talk us through it all. Kia ora, Giles. How are you? Oh, I'm good. My left hand's kind of killing me right now from writing um, all those ups and downs and notes. But, you know, this wasn't, um, this is a little bit bigger than the, the so-called minor reshuffle from last year. So so getting into it, the big yeah. the big winners from all of this, um, you've got uh, Jan Sinetti, um, Michael Wood, Aisha Verrill and uh, Kitty Allen all really, really moving up the ranks. Jan Sinetti's taken that education portfolio off uh, Chris Hipkins, which was kind of always signaled. She had been taking a lot more of those responsibilities since last year. Michael Wood has moved all the way up to seven from 15. He is keeping his uh, transport and immigration roles, and he's been given a brand new role, which has just been created for him, which is um, Minister for Auckland. Mm. Um, The uh, National Party actually created an Auckland spokesperson a couple of weeks Mm. ago, um, and Chris Hipkins says that the last couple of years have shown that Auckland really does need its own focus. Um, Kerry Allen, she keeps her justice um, portfolio but she moves up to the front bench and who else is there? oh and Aisha Verrill uh, takes mm. takes health off mm. Andrew Little which was kind of a bit signaled he had started to lose the support of the sector and now that he'd got those really tough um, health reforms through Chris Hipkins kind of wants someone to now uh, sort of take the reins and get them delivered uh, if you just hang in there for us, Giles, because I'm going to go to the panel on this one. Uh, Heather, you're in the studio in Wellington. Great mm. to have you with us today on RNZ National. And uh, interesting, as we were listening there to um, to the reshuffle as it was being announced, and uh, various noises being made. Of it. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> oh, what about that one? Oh, what are you? What are your um, the ones that are really jumping out to you? Yeah, I think Jan Tanetti, not surprising at all that she um, has taken on the full education portfolio. She was associate education before, mm. but a little surprised that she's jumped up to number six. Um, Asia Varel was signalled, of course, as Giles just pointed out, for health. Um, I think that she will be welcomed by the health sector. Uh, you know, She knows the environment really well, but she's still a very new MP, and health is a huge, a huge task. Yeah, from mm. that political perspective, what is it like to be a relatively new MP? And to get that, you know, you're still, to some extent, finding your feet in yes. Parliament and in the political world. And that's a big responsibility that she's yeah. been handed. Yep, it is. And look, it's a great advantage when you come to Parliament as a new MP um, in opposition because you do get time to find your feet, learn how the, all the processes work. Um, mm. You know, there's a, it's a huge growth curve and for, for anybody really, no matter how able. And to come into, into government straight away is a big ask, but um, health is a huge portfolio. So it'd be very interesting just to see how she comes and manages the health reforms, which are also really significant because mm. there's a lot of bedding in that needs to be done. Health's, health's in, in many respects in crisis. In crisis and, mm. and of course, in a perhaps flux is the wrong word, but certainly with the new yes. health authorities that yep. are just really standing up now, yeah. it, it's certainly a, a huge time of change for the whole sector. Yeah. Uh, Johnny, for you, what are the ones that uh, you're really noticing out of this new lineup that Chris Hipkins has unveiled? 
Yeah, I thought it was a, a really um, interesting reshuffle. I think the uh, Minister for Auckland was a particularly smart move, uh, especially given current events. I know the decision was made uh, prior, but I think that you know Labour essentially lost the mayoralty uh, last year there to Wayne Brown, and that's the first time that uh, a Labour-supported candidate has lost since the formation of the Super City. So mm. I think a renewed focus on Auckland and getting some teeth in Cabinet around Auckland issues, I think, is uh, probably a really smart move. It's also good to see Labour have brought through some fresh faces as well. I think that was essential. There is a sense of renewal and Chris Hipkins making his mark here. Uh, if I look across it, and uh, I think, think it's just despite some movement by the numbers, it's pretty disappointing for Māori on the whole. Um, it really does reinforce the suspicion that under Chris Hipkins there's going to be a bit of shying away from that co-governance agenda mm. and the strengthening of Māori leadership. We saw Nanaia lose local government to mm. Kira McAnulty. We see Peony Henari lose defence. So that's two quite notable shifts away from Māori ministers, and they're going to need to manage that because we're hearing this narrative about a return to bread and butter issues. Um, but you know, let's just hope it's not just white bread because there's a plenty of suspicion out there <laughs> about, about, about moving away uh, from that agenda. So it'll be interesting to watch how that plays out. Uh, Giles Dexter, our political reporter, I'll come back to you on this one, Giles. Uh, and interesting indeed there, some of the comments there from Johnny about the situation with Nanaya Mahuta. I mean, realistically, was it ever going to be possible that she could hang on to that portfolio? Yeah, you do kind of have to look at her as the biggest loser from this reshuffle. It was signalled for a long time that she would lose local government and Kieran McAnulty mm. coming into Cabinet and picking that up has, has also been been long signalled. Um, Chris Hipkins says that part of this was to allow her to focus on foreign affairs, but it, it's kind of unusual that we had a minister doing both foreign affairs and local government, and by having this taken away from her, it means that she will be able to do more of those foreign trips, and Chris Hipkins has sort of made his expectations clear that he wants her to. He wants her out of the country uh, doing the role of a foreign affairs minister. Um, he uh, he was also sort of asked about um, the demotion of Pini Hanare as such. He didn't move down too many places hmm. in the rankings, but he did lose defence to Andrew Little, maybe as a sweetener for Andrew Little losing health. Hmm. Um, and he said that, um, you know, this isn't to be seen as a slight against as Māori. He, he values their role in the cabinet. And he has actually put more Māori on the front bench than before the process started because he's got Willie Jackson and uh, Kelly Allen on the front bench now. Uh, of course, Chris Hipkins yet to uh, detail exactly what this policy reset is going to look like as well, though. Uh, can we read anything into Willie Jackson hanging on to broadcasting? Um, well, yeah, it could be interesting. You sort of wonder that, you know, Three Waters is one of those policies that, mm. you know, could be could be in for a reset. It remains to be seen whether uh, the, the merger could could still go ahead. He, uh, Jacinda Ardern had asked all of her ministers to spend the summer um, taking a look at those portfolios, and Chris Hipkins met with them all last week and a bit this week, uh, sort of asking them, hey, where can the fat be trimmed? Because they want to go to this bread and butter, saving the economy, cost of living kind of relentless focus. So, um, yeah, Willie Jackson keeping broadcasting could signify, but who knows? <laughs> who yeah. knows indeed. Yeah, Heather, what he'll, do you think about these ones? What oh, do you well, think that tells us? I think Chris Hipkins needs to look, you know, the, the public now have made it very clear what they're not finding palatable. There's grave concerns around co-governance and what that means. I think he's right to say that people don't really understand what co-governance could look like. So um, I think that, you know, no, no surprises there. Um, so he'll be looking for a few things that he'll be able to cut, I think. And look, honestly, the TVNZ radio 
Radio-New Zealand merger is the easiest one to take away first. That would provide some reassurance that people have been listened to. Uh, and there's nothing great to lose there because both organisations have been standalone for a long time and can continue that way. Mm. Johnny, what is your um, reading of this and, and sense of this lineup? I suppose when we also put that together with those two snapshot political polls that we got, um, where mm. does that uh, leave us, I suppose, with, with Chris Ippians not only reshuffling as coming in as the new Prime Minister, but also this is, you know, putting... Uh, the cabinet, I guess, on the footing ahead of the election. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Look, there's there's no question it's been a good start to the year for Labour, not least of all because they're staying in the headlines uh, and will continue to. So, look, this has been good. I think this move will be good. I think um, Heather's absolutely right. The uh, RNZ-TVNZ merger would be the easiest one to drop, and I suspect by keeping Willie Jackson in that post that the intent is to drop it because mm-hmm. if he wanted to go out and sell that reform, he would definitely be the wrong person to do it. <laughs> Um, and I and I also agree around the confusion around co-governance, and I think that'll be a really interesting one for them to navigate, which is that actually they've shied away from the conversation while pushing a lot of movement in that space. Uh, and I really think their mistake is not being being loud and proud about about the importance of that and that shared decision making. They've communicated really poorly, uh, and so I think um, Chris Hipkins is making some obvious moves in that space, but he's going to need to figure out a way how to communicate that back uh, because things like the health reform in Three Waters. Um, they're already occurring, um, and so he's going to need to uh, gain control of that narrative. Mm. And Giles, I think, I hope you're you're still with us there from Hello. Parliament. Hello. <laughs> um, uh, so from your perspective as well, um, what are you thinking that this does in terms of Chris Hipkins sort of setting the scene for election year? It, I mean, it is quite... A, it, the, the top of the cabinet remains essentially the same as mm. under Jacinda Ardern. Those, those big hitters like Kelvin Davis and Grant Robertson and Megan Woods all remain the same. What he does want to bring in is a lot of new talent and he wants to give them a good mm. you know, start in an election year. So you have people like Kieran McAnulty who's proved himself outside cabinet being brought into cabinet. Mm. He's got new, brand new ministers in Ginny Anderson and Barbara Edmonds who um, you know, he believes have shown themselves to, to, to be up to the task and a whole new range of ministers out Outside of uh, outside of cabinet, while at the same time, you know, getting rid of those ministers who'd already indicated they wanted to retire, and and poor Phil Twyford um, has has mm. been dropped as well. Who we were told was philosophical about it, and I really hope that wasn't a pun um, that the that Chris Hipkins was using. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he he does want to make his mark on this. He does want to, you know there, there always was going to be a reshuffle. Jacinda Ardern had indicated there'd be a mm. reshuffle, but Chris Hipkins is adamant that this is his cabinet. This is his stamp that he wants to put on this and you know with all those changes this is you know this, the focus that he wants to take forward Giles Dector thank you very much for the puns as well political reporter <laughs> and updating us on the situation with that new cabinet lineup that has been unveiled by the Prime Minister just in the last half an hour or so you're listening to the panel on RNZ National Susie Ferguson in for Wallace Chapman and Johnny O'Donnell Heather Roy with us this afternoon now of course uh, the thing that everyone is talking about pretty much is the situation in Auckland north of Orewa it's going to this heavy rain warning red from four o'clock so in the last what 19 minutes or so uh, the strong wind watch also in place up there and more is also on the way while people still recovering from that devastating flooding on Friday now let's get the very latest update uh, from Auckland Civil Defence Duty Controller Rachel Kelleher Rachel thank you very much for your time today Kia ora you must be pretty busy 
Yeah, for sure. Now, of course, this red warning has kicked in just in the last sort of 20 minutes or so for north of Orewa. Uh, what are the updates that you're able to give us at this stage? Well, we just had an update from our Auckland-based meteorologist, uh, Georgina Griffiths, who, um, who, whose advice was really that um, the predictions set out in that uh, warning still stand, and at the moment we're starting to see some of that more adverse weather moving in from Northland and across Northland, and, and we should expect that uh, to hit Auckland uh, um, coming in from the north throughout the night. So this weather seems to be moving as expected in that case. So what are the models telling you about what could happen? Well, the advice that we've been given is that, and, and obviously which is, is sort of demonstrated through those warnings, is that the areas north of Orewa um, can expect to have uh, high high rainfalls um, and uh, as well as wider parts of the region in the orange warning. I think one of the things that I'd just like to say is just... Um, you know, it's quite possible that in the orange area we could also still have some adverse events because at the moment we've got such sodden ground conditions that any sort of burst of heavy rain could cause problems. But of course our attention is certainly on that northern part of the region where we expect those impacts to be more severe. Mm. So what kinds of things, for example, are you uh, thinking will start to come in? Because it'll be over the next few hours, I guess, as that rain moves south across Auckland City. Is that when you're sort of most worried? Uh, well, well, the information from that service is that it's probably going to come across more in bands rather than being sort of consistent rainfall. Mm-hmm. So um, I think what people can expect is sort of heavy showers with some reprieve followed by more heavy showers. Um, and, you know, some of those could certainly be quite heavy and, and they, uh, they are likely to be the things that cause us issue, issues. But coupled with that, there's also a, a, wind, uh, a wind watch in place and... Um, so that could have impacts on uh, things like the opening of the Auckland Harbour Bridge. Um, you know, there may be speed restrictions, lane closures for the bridge, but also there's the possibility of full closure. Uh, and heavy winds at the moment with such saturated ground has got, you know, a decent chance then of causing other things like tree fall, um, which can be problematic for power lines and um, roads and things like that too. So what recommendations do you have for people over the next couple of hours in Auckland? Of course, we're heading into that time when, you know, if you've gone to work, this might be the time that people would be beginning to think about heading home. Yeah, that's, that's right. The advice from Auckland Transport really is if, if you can leave uh, leave work and head home earlier than usual, that would be ideal. Um, you know, from our end, make sure you stay informed. Watch the forecast. Met Service has all of the up-to-date forecasts available on their website and social media channels um, and, it, and you know we know that we, weather can change and sometimes at quite short notice. Um, mm. Avoid that and un- avoid an unnecessary travel. Uh, check the road conditions. There's lots of uh, road closures and impacts still being felt out in the road network so it's really important that people check the road conditions before they leave and plan their journeys. Uh, floods and flash floods can happen quickly so um, one of the key things I really like to stress is if people are seeing uh, rising water in areas where it um, might put them at risk, don't wait for official warnings. You know, take action, head for higher ground, and stay away from flood waters. Mm. Even shallow water can actually be quite dangerous. What is the situation for the cleanup? Has that had to pause because uh, this heavy rain is anticipated? Well, I guess the fortunate thing is that most of that uh, heavy or adverse weather is coming in overnight. Um, and so today we've been able to keep on with our programme of clearing waste and doing our building inspections. 
and we've made really good good progress on both of those things. We've had um, you know skip bins out. We've had our contractors uh, clearing waste and taking that through the landfill. Uh, and our building inspectors, again, um, out on the ground uh, assessing homes for safety. And the situation, if people uh, do find that there is a flood, that their houses um, you know, become inundated, are there emergency centres, are indeed, are there more emergency centres that people will be able to access if need be? Yes, yeah, so we've got three civil defence centres stood up at the moment, so they're open 24, 24 hours a day. And uh, they also include sort of wraparound support services, uh, such as uh, Ministry of Social Development. And they are at Leonard's Road School in Kelston, uh, the Massey University Albany campus, and Mana Tukutuku at uh, Riverton Drive in Ranwick Park. We also have uh, support available, including overnight accommodation, if necessary, being stood up at Moana Nui Kiwa Pool and Leisure Centre in Mangari, um, Wellsford Community Centre and at the Walkworth Town Hall, and we're also working on options for the Kenya community, which is likely to be the community centre there. All of the information about um, those different locations will be available on our um, social media and website channels. Indeed. Look, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for joining us here on RNZ National. Rachel Kelleher there from Auckland Auckland Civil Defence, the duty controller there. Uh, It's 25 minutes past four. It has been an absolutely extraordinary... um, time uh, has it not Johnny uh, Johnny O'Donnell who's with us on the panel today and some pretty interesting communications going out or or not going out I think it's something that you've been thinking about uh, yeah, indeed, absolutely. I've been think, giving it a lot of thought, um, as, as I know lots of people have. Uh, and I remember, it's fresh in my mind, I guess, from uh, the August weather events we had in Nelson mm-hmm. uh, and the important reassurance we had there. I always find that wherever you stand in politics, you find the best of leaders come out in these moments. You know, I was I was no um, great fan of, of Bob Parker as a politician and his mayoralty, but he was phenomenal during the Christchurch mm-hmm. quakes. Um, and that, that's what tends to happen in these situations. Um, of course, we've seen such a contrast to that in Auckland and honestly um, all all the uh, commentary aside my heart goes out to Aucklanders because actually when you're up against it in this way communication is everything that reassurance um, means a lot to people and they really haven't had it and that must have been incredibly difficult. It's really non-negotiable isn't it because it's you know a situation like that where um, you know a natural disaster happens around you and you know it's it's incredibly frightening having something like that happen and so to hear you know a voice of authority and a voice of reason and knowing where you can get help is an absolute Mm. lifeline to people isn't it yeah, it absolutely is. And I think uh, in the case of uh, Wayne Brown, he's really just finding out what the job is about. <laughs> that, that is exactly uh, what this role is. Uh, and I found it uh, you know, difficult to listen to uh, when he came out in that initial press conference and subsequently to say that his philosophy is all about trusting the experts after a, after a mayoralty campaign that was all about discrediting them. So, uh, you know, I think unfortunately for Wayne Brown now and indeed for everyone tuning in, uh, it doesn't really matter what he says now. It's that other people need to step into that void because they're that confidence has been lost uh, and he's got quite a big job ahead of him to restore that, I think. Mm. Heather, what have you been thinking about? Um, With regard to Auckland? Yeah. Um, I think there's four phases of emergency management and, of course, we, we... 
we always focus on the here and the now, and people do need to be prepared. Now, it's all very well installing a burglar alarm after you've been burgled, and we all know that we should have extra water supplies and a grab bag ready to go and all those sorts of things. Um, you know, the earthquakes have taught us that, if nothing else. Um, I absolutely hear what Johnny's saying about Wayne Brown and communication, and he really has dropped the ball there. But I do think in the recovery phase, Wayne Brown, I'm not ready to write him off yet, I do think in the recovery mm. phase he may well step in and have the right sort of personality to lead Auckland in that clean-up. Um, so, you know, let's see what happens there. And for, for the different phases, prevention, preparedness, response and recovery, you almost do need different leadership styles for each of those. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's a long way to go yet. And, um, you know, our hearts go out to Aucklanders and let's hope mm. the second wave isn't too bad. But sodden ground is sodden ground with more rain coming. Um, so, you know, we we do hope that um, things aren't quite as bad as they perhaps are going to be predicted to be. Mm. Um you know, and we—it's good to see that sense of community too. You know, people looking after each mm. other, looking yeah. out for their neighbours. Um, but you know, we're, there's that obligation for all of us. Let's be prepared and learn the lessons that Auckland are going through mm. now. Absolutely. Mm. Now, mm. also, you've been thinking about um, something that I have to say. Uh, is also close to my heart, and this is about EpiPen. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. So. Um, it sort of seems a little frivolous talking about that in the midst of floods, but I was really pleased to see the Pharmac announcement uh, on the 15th of December last year saying that at last, after decades of lobbying, uh, that EpiPens are going to be fully funded by government for those with severe allergies um, who have the risk of uh, suffering anaphylaxis. When I went to Parliament in 2002 and was ex health spokesman, um, I had, you know, I was lobbied heavily mm. to try and get these funded, and you know, Pharmac seemed to think that it was okay. For a five-year-old whose parents couldn't um, afford EpiPens, mm. uh, which are expensive, about two thousand dollars, and they have to be replaced regularly, mm. that it was okay for them to have a vial of um, adrenaline in their backpack with a syringe, just in case, you know. Uh, so this is long overdue, and unfortunately, Pharmac often comes to the party late. At least in this occasion, it has come to the party. So those EpiPens are going to be funded from the first of February, and hopefully, that's twelve thousand New Zealanders who will be better off as a result of that. Yeah, and certainly. It's not the kind of thing that you want to be in a situation where you have to think about whether you can afford to replace the EpiPen. No, that's right, and that's what and that's what people on, from low-income households. That's the dilemma that they've had. So they've just held on to the EpiPen they've had, hoping that if it's needed, it will still be effective. A few years yeah. ago, actually, we had this happen in the in the newsroom here, and I remember saying to the person, "She's a work experience." Yeah. Um, person who was here and actually I'm terribly sorry but I can't remember her name but um, she had an anaphylaxis, uh, anaphylaxis yep. uh, on the floor in the newsroom yep. and um, she was saying don't use my EpiPen I don't know if I can you know pay for a new one yeah I said to her I'll buy you a new one <laughs> as I put it into <laughs> her because it, yeah. you know it's got to be yep. done if it's got to be done but it's an awful yep. awful choice and awful buying for people to be in um, just approaching half past four just before we go to the headlines on RNZ National and get the very latest news from Susanna we need to bring you up to date with some breaking news this afternoon, which is that the Chateau Tongariro is going to be closing its doors this Sunday. Uh, unexpectedly, the most recent seismic assessments found that underground shifts over time have meant some of the hotel infrastructure no longer meets current safety standards. It opened back in 1929. 36 people currently employed there. Um, Eleanor, who I think we have on the line has witnessed a bit of history and has some story t stories to share. Hi there, Eleanor. Thanks for being with us on RNZ National on the panel. Well, thank you very much for your welcome. And it's rather a pleasure to, well, 
thoroughly say goodbye to an era, which is the Chateau, of course. It really is a piece of history, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And um, I'm 82 now, so looking back um, through the various ski seasons and summer climbing expeditions on the mountain, um, you can see the changes that have gone on. But back then, in the mid-50s, Narahoi was really doing a wonderful uh, display of exploding, particularly at night. It was spectacular. That sounds extraordinary. Is this something that you... Uh, do you live close by to it? Is that why it's um, you have so no, many memories no. of there? We lived in Auckland. Uh-huh. We lived in Auckland, but school, <clears throat> school holidays um, just happened to coincide on two years with incredible displays. And so we'd spend the day skiing on the mountain and then come back and we'd, girls would all get titivated up and come down to dinner. And then after dinner... Um, there would be the dance floor in the chateau, which is still there, and this massive, massive window looking straight across to Mount Narahoi. And all of a sudden, everybody would stop and bump into each other, and we would see the mountain explode. And then all the dancers, we would start counting down, and we would count down, and then the explosion would actually hit the chateau, and that big window was roped off in case it gave way. And oh the word. explosion would just rock everything. <laughs> that's extraordinary. What a thing to see. And that's such an amazing picture window that looks out to the mountain. It must have been an absolute sight. Well, it's still there. <laughs> it sure <laughs> is. I was there, which was about a year or two ago. Yeah. And the, we would see rocks as big as houses <clears throat> Excuse me, mm. come flying out of the top. And it looked as if it was in slow motion. And these red glowing and white glowing things would come out and smash down on the mountainsides and crash into pieces. It was really spectacular. And then rivers of um, lava would come over the top. Mm. Absolutely. It was absolutely amazing. I remember one evening um, a taxi pulled up at the front door and in came this American tourist who was absolutely shattered he'd got off the train mm. the taxi had picked him up and the mountain exploded on the way nobody had told him <laughs> <laughs> he headed straight for the bar he <laughs> oh eleanor thank you so much for coming on rnz and for sharing those memories incredibly vibrant i think we can all sort of see it in our in our mind's eye look thank you so much for coming on the panel